chew toy for lost dog in Colorado, $5. Get yourself lost. Silk doggy bed for trip across Kansas, $200. Bubble bath in Jefferson City, $15. Coming home after a long trip, priceless. There are some things money can't buy. For your journey, there's MasterCard. Good morning. You, you did notice the dog's name, right? Badger? Okay. Just, just, we're a little sleepy here this morning. Okay. That's good. Now, I had no clue when we moved to Madison that there was this thing called the Madison Iron Man deal here. I, I just didn't know it. I mean, what, what a cool thing. And I, I have to say, I, I got caught up in the hype. And I'm on board for next year. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. All right. Now, it's easy for you to clap, but let me give you the reality check here. All right, so here it is. 2.4 miles swim. I think it was about a mile that I swam across Lake Geneva trying to keep up with my wife and nearly drowned. So I got some work to do there. Now, there's that 112-mile bike ride. I don't think I've ever done that, but I'm pretty sure if you add all my bike rides together this summer... I'm pretty sure I've done 112, so I think I got it in me. And the 26.2 marathon, I'm not even close. I think maybe a 10K. But, but I want you to know, I'm undergoing a rigorous training where I'm training almost every day. Almost on Monday. Almost on Tuesdays. Oh, you get the deal. It's just not going to happen. Not this body at this point in my life. It's not going to happen. But um, I, met, I met a gal this week who actually did it. I couldn't believe it. I'm at this cross-country meet, and I'm talking with this gal. In fact, she's from the Lodi Church. We're going to go to Guatemala together. Just met her for the first time. And she tells me she ran the Ironman. I'm going, wow, you did that? Yeah. How long did you train? Well, I trained about the last year. I said, well, that's, that's serious. I said, how long did it take you? 13 hours. She said, I almost didn't make it. It was dark. I got about mile 22 in the marathon. And I just didn't think I could do it. I'm thinking, wow. Then you go on, on the web, like I did this week, to just look at you know, a training regimen for what does it take to, to get ready. It just assumes that you're starting out, that you've already been working out eight hours a week. It just assumes that. And it's going to take you to about 18 to 20 hours a week to get you ready for the Ironman. Now, the deal is, most of us aren't going to train for a marathon, let alone an Ironman. But... Most of us are involved in training, and most of life has us involved in training. I mean, you think about us kids. You're in school right now, kids. That, that's training. When you, when you went to the soccer camp this summer that Door Creek put on, that was training to get you better equipped as a soccer player. When, when you do your, your practicing for your musical instrument, that, that's training. Your, your sports workout, that's training. Your play practice, that's training. You're, you're at MATC. And that's training. You're going to the U or to grad school or you're doing a residency. That's training. There's continuing education. There's on-the-job training. There's technical training. There's training all over the place in life. Boot camp, that's training. Now, when you think about it, just about everything that we're involved with in life either requires it or has us involved in some level of training. Now, here's a connection we need to make. So, too being a Christ follower. It's part of life. It's part of the life of following Christ. 
So we're a little past the middle of our series called Priceless, The Enduring Commitments of a Christ Follower. What are we talking about? We're talking about the core values of Door Creek Church, of this church. What are we committed to? Well, we're committed to a life of worship, worshiping God in all of life. We're committed to the Bible's authority, centering our lives on God's truth. We're committed to the richness of community, growing together in Christ. We're committed to compassionate service, humbly extending his compassion to those in need. And today we're talking about our fifth value here, intentional training. That's what we're committed to. Preparing and releasing you, God's people, for ministry. Now, when you think about it, we want to answer this question. What are we committing to when we sign on for this value? Because we aren't just signing on to it collectively, but if it's going to be a collective value of this church, it's because individually it's our value. What are we signing up for here as we seek to pursue our mission of changing lives to change the world? Well, what we're doing here, what we're committing to is following Christ's pattern. I mean, he's the master trainer. And when he trained those 12 men, they turned the world upside down and the world's never been the same 2,000 years later. So we are going to follow Christ's pattern as we take up this value, intentional training. And when you think about Christ's pattern, it starts with a call. It goes from he called them to he trained them to he sent them out. So let's think about the call. In Matthew chapter 4, you see this verse on the screen, verse 19. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And that call, I will suggest, was a radical call. Because when he said, come and follow me, he also said, and you need to bring something. You need to bring your cross. You need to come ready to die that you might live for me and find life in me. So he says this in Matthew 10, 38. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. It's a radical call. I think sometimes in America, we forget that. I was looking through some emails this last month that I got from my friend who's a medical missionary in a closed country. That means they're they're not open to the good news of God's love in Christ. They don't want to hear anything about being a Christ follower. So he's in that country as a doctor, helping people. It's a Muslim country. He tells about one of his new friends who's become a new follower of Christ. And you know a little bit about the radical nature when you hear this man's story. Just got married. His wife, he thinks, is ready to hear the news that he's a follower of Christ. And all of a sudden, she hears it and she doesn't like it at all. She wants a divorce. She tells her brothers. Her brothers beat him up. And he's, he's on the verge right now in the story that's just happening of are they going to tell the authorities? Because if the authorities in his village find out, it's toast for him. If his own family finds out, they're going to deny him and reject him. It's huge. It's clear for this man to know following Christ is a radical commitment. For us, we don't really know that. But the radical thing here is it's a complete change. Whether we're going to be persecuted for our faith here or not, it's radical because the call is a dynamic call that brings change where he changes these men who are commercial fishermen into now fishers of men who are going to have the opportunity 
to take the love of Christ and catch men's hearts with that and change them. And it was a dynamic, ongoing change that did way more than change their vocation. It changed their identity, their purpose and mission in life, their behavior, their attitude. It changes our vocabulary, our desires, our affections. It changes how we think about the past and how we think about the future. And we'll never get to the point where we say, hey, here's the deal. I did the coursework. I read all the books. I took all the classes. I've passed. Not only that, here's the deal. I I, I did some training stuff, and I'm now certified, and I am a fully mature, complete follower of Christ. I'm, I'm perfect. I've passed the grade. Never happened that we'll say that this side of heaven. Don't take my word for it. Look up on the screen and take Paul's word. And I think when you read the New Testament after Jesus, Paul's like right up at the top. I mean, this guy's a stud follower of Christ. And here's what he said. He says, not that I've already obtained all this. or have already been made perfect. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining toward what is ahead... I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul's saying, I'm not there yet. It's an ongoing thing. That's why we need training. Ongoing in all of life. So he calls them. It's a radical call. But then he trained them. So he brings them together as he's called them to himself to say, "Be be my follower. And then he spent three and a half years training them. How did he do that? Well, he just didn't lecture them, but he did teach them. What he did, first of all, is he modeled what it means to be a man of God who has a heart fully after God. He said repeatedly, my will is to do the will of my father. And he showed his men what it means to live a life that's honoring to God, that loves him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But he did teach, too. He didn't just show them in this consistent life of humility and servanthood. He taught them. He taught them a lot about God's kingdom, what it means to have Jesus as your king, as your ruler in your life. He not only modeled it and taught them, but he sent them out. He said, now you try it. Now you go out. You go heal the sick. You go tell them about God and the kingdom of God. And they did. And then having called them and trained them, he was ready then to send them out. And that's what he does at the end of his ministry here on this earth. Before he ascends into heaven, he sends them out. And we'll note, he sent them out together, not alone. He gave them a clear, simple mission. Go make more followers of me. He gave them clear expectations. Look, they... they came after me, they're going to come after you. In this world, you will have trouble. Hey, but don't ever forget, I've overcome the world. Don't ever forget my promise that I'll never leave you, nor abandon you or forsake you. Don't ever forget that I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail. Don't ever forget, I'm coming back. So you should have great hope as you go out on this mission. So when you think about intentional training at Door Creek Church. What are we committing to? To following Christ's pattern of calling people to Christ, of training them, and then deploying them, sending them out to do His work. A second thing we're doing here 
we're committing to obeying Christ's mandate. Sometimes we call this mandate the Great Commission. You see, what we understand in the Scriptures is this. Christ's followers make more followers of Christ. That just like we have children and grow our families through children, God's family grows through reproduction, multiplication. So when you have in the Old Testament... God's saying to Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. He wasn't just talking about physically having lots of kids. Because at the end of the Old Testament, Malachi 2.15, we read that the reason I made you one in marriage, the reason I gave you a measure of my spirit was so that you could raise up a godly offspring. And so the reproducing that Adam and Eve were to be about was kids who love God generations that will follow him and serve him with their whole hearts. We have a mandate. This mandate is to reproduce Christ's followers from all the nations. Here's Jesus' words from the end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And when you think about that teaching and making followers, I want us to understand that in the Scriptures it says it begins at home. It starts with our families. Now, a lot of you know that I'm a child of Swiss immigrants. My parents came to this country through Canada in their young 30s. Here's a picture of them in the backyard of my house in Evanston, Illinois. That's where I grew up. Um, In Swiss German, that's Moody and Fuddy. So Moody and Fuddy, Door Creek Church, all right? That means mom and dad in Swiss German. So Moody, she uh, she never went to school after high school. She did an apprenticeship as a milliner. That's that's a hat maker. She was a good hat maker. And I I remember this funny story of when she came. Well, I, I remember her telling the funny story. Uh, when she came to America and she's meeting these new women at church and these new friends and in her thick German accent, she was trying to tell them a little bit about herself and they thought she said she was a millionaire <laughs> when she was just trying to say she was a milliner. My dad, he didn't go past high school or the equivalent of that in Switzerland. He um, decided, since uh, his older brother had taken over the family business, which was his dad was a, a carpenter, that he was going to go into dentistry. He was going to be a dental technician. So he apprenticed in that. So here, here my mom and dad both have these experiences of being an apprentice. And they both come out of this, this buttoned-up culture. If you don't know this about Switzerland, everything's like just right. I mean, my cousins always say, we're going to organize ourselves to death. They're like neat freaks and clean freaks. And I'm not kidding you. The storekeepers have a bucket of soapy, soapy water and they're cleaning the sidewalks and the stoops of their stores before the day begins. My, my mother would iron our underwear. I mean, it's, it's like, whoa, dog. So what I'm saying is they were into training. All right. If you were a my fear, you could expect you're going to have training. So here's how it worked. There was training on, you know, how to work and how to do it right. So there's household chores. There was training in, in terms of um, 
you know, personal hygiene. There was training on kind of social skills and how you'd meet people and how we were taught to, you know, you shook their hands and you looked them right in the eyes. And, you know, I needed a lot of help in the social skills, and I got a lot of help because I have three sisters, and so every night around the table, you know, my three sisters and my four mothers were telling me what I was doing wrong. <laughs> you know, your elbows around the table. You're talking with your mouth, it's full. Don't pick your nose, or whatever it was, you know. It, it was just nonstop. But then, here's what's really cool. There was spiritual training. I'm so thankful for that. Some of us didn't have that, but I did. That meant that we came around the Word of God. I understood the Word of God's important. It was modeled by my mom and dad. It was just part of our life. We came around the Word. We studied it. We read it. We memorized it. There was prayer. At the end of the night, uh, we'd get on our knees next to mom at the foot of our bed, and we'd pray together. There was, there was training in, in serving other people, extending hospitality. All these things were ingrained. And the scriptures say, when it comes to intentional training, right at the top of the list, the starting point for us who are parents is our kids. Look at Deuteronomy 6, verse 1. Page 130, if you need a Bible and want to grab the one in the rack in front of you, or Deuteronomy chapter 6. Fifth book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Chapter 6, the most classic passage, I think, in all of Scripture on this important point. Moses writing here, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me, Moses, to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This is the one commandment Jesus says summarizes all of them. He's saying, this is the commandment I want you to teach your kids. And through them, your grandkids. Verse 6, These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts, parents. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. He says, hey, parents, you cannot impart what you don't have, what you don't possess. You want your kids to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? Well, then you have to be a lover of God. And you need to talk about, you need to have conversations about God and why he's a God worthy of our love and what it looks like to love him in all of life. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing from sun up to sundown, make it a part of your conversation. And because you're going to forget Start having symbols around. Have it on your body. So when you see, you remember, yeah, that's what it's about, life. It's about loving God with all of our heart. That's what I need to be doing with my kids, teaching them that. Not only do you tie it on the parts of your body, your hands, and on, the, on your lobes here, your, your frontal lobes, but you are to carve it into the architecture of your home, right on the doorposts, so it would be carved in the architecture of your kids' hearts. It's huge. Look at Psalm 78, verses 1 through 7. Same kind of stuff going on here. 
training one generation that they might train another generation and train another generation. That's how it's been going ever since Deuteronomy 6 was written. One generation after another, passing on the praiseworthy deeds of God, his great love for us and what it means to love him. It's mentioned in Ephesians 6. Fathers, don't exasperate your kids, but bring them up in the instruction and training of the Lord. Proverbs 22 talks about it. How we should train up our children the way they should go. And when they're older, they will not depart from it. Lori's uncle, Gene, died this last week on Friday. Lori's mom has um, nine brothers and sisters. This is her last brother now who's, who's died. They grew up in a Christian home. They were trained in the way they should go. But something happened in, in Uncle Gene, just a kind, gracious man. Something happened in his life. He had a bad, bad experience with the church somewhere. I don't know, maybe some of you had that at some point in your life, or some of you know someone like that. They, they don't want anything to do with God. They want anything to do with the church. That's got Uncle Gene. Nice guy, but he didn't want anything to do with that. That went on for about 50 years. And right at the end of his life, Something happened. Something happened. Maybe it's what Proverbs 22 is talking about, which isn't a promise, but a guiding principle. What happened is that at the foot of his bed, as he was lying there in hospice, there was this monster TV. He didn't want the TV on. All he wanted was his dear wife, Mavis, to read him the Bible. That's all he wanted. Came back to it. Came back to where he was trained as a kid. It's powerful in the lives of our kids. Now, it starts in our families, but then it continues in the church family. This idea of making followers. Ephesians 4, we already looked at it, but read it again. Verse 11 through 13. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Here's why these leaders are given and gifted to the church. To prepare God's people, that's you, for works of service for ministry. Why is that important? So that the body of Christ may be built up, may grow strong. What does that look like? Until we reach unity in the faith in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's what's supposed to be going on here. and That's what is going on here as we're preparing, equipping God's people to do ministry. It's the stuff that Paul is talking about in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, when he says to Timothy, and the things you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, now, Timothy, I want you to entrust that to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Do you see the four generations there? Paul, Timothy, reliable men qualified to teach others. That's what it's about. Christ followers making more followers of Christ. But it's not just something that we do or do for others. It's actually something that we do for ourselves because making followers of Christ includes personal training. It's something that nobody else can do. We have to do it. First Timothy 4 speaks of that, verse 7. Paul, again, speaking to young Timothy, his disciple, he says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself. Train yourself. Let there be holy sweat in your life as you pursue a godly life. Train yourself to be godly. For physical training is some value. It's good. But godliness is better. It has value for all things, holding promise both for the present life 
and the life to come. Train yourself for godliness. Now, some of us are really serious about this thing called training. I mean, we're working out. Maybe we're on the bike. Maybe we're on the road running. Maybe we're in the pool swimming. Maybe we're at the health club. Maybe we're doing it in our basement. We're on the treadmill. We're serious about working out. Well, God's word says to us, well, are you serious about working out spiritually? Train yourself to be godly. Well, what does that look like? What does it look like to be on a training regimen where we're training for godliness? It means that we've got these habits and practices that, that are helping us to become more like Christ. We sometimes call these spiritual disciplines. They're things at first we may not be very good at, but the more we practice it, the better we're getting at these disciplines. There's the discipline of the Word, reading it and studying it, learning how it fits together, learning how to have it apply to our life and teach us, obeying it. That's the discipline of the Word, discipline of prayer. It's going through the day, realizing that the line's always open to God. He's always there. We could always be looking to Him in prayer. The discipline of serving, of giving, of fasting. It's part of training for godliness. And that training then in our mandate, the Great Commission, is something that's not just for us and each other, but it's supposed to be a training that goes out to the nations, all the way out to the nations. So let me tell you about Marion. I first met Marion at church in Wheaton. She came up to me. She was new to the church. I, I could tell she was retired. She was up in years. Didn't know anything about her. I knew she was alone. Thought maybe she was a widow. She said, I'd like to have lunch with you. So I had lunch with Marion. She told me her story. She said, 40 years ago, I went to Japan as a single woman. And I was there for the last 40 years. And I planted churches in Japan. I'm thinking, you're kidding me. This woman's planted churches. Not just like one church several churches. Then she goes on to tell me, yeah, one of those churches is a church of a thousand people right now. I'm thinking, a thousand people in Japan? Do you know how stunning that is? That's a hard place to plant a church. And she started pulling out the pictures. She showed me all these spiritual children. She's like the matriarch of these people. She's brought them to faith in Christ. She's, she invested her life. And there was a sense, as you're talking to Marion, who's talking about this family that God had given her. There's no regrets. Absolutely no regrets. Intentionally training generations of Japanese people to follow Christ and make more followers of him. Huge. So what are the implications Well, the implications when it comes to this value of intentional training is it's all about relationships. It's not about a textbook. It's not about curriculum. It doesn't mean we can't use a book. But it's fundamentally following the pattern of Christ. And for Christ, it was life on life around himself, the word of God. For us, it's life on life around the word of God. It's all about relationships. It's all about grace. We, we don't pursue these disciplines. We don't pursue this training in godliness so as to gain God's favor. We have his favor through faith in Christ. We have this relationship. It's our experience of God's love that makes us want to love him and grow to be like him and better fitted to be his instrument to bring others to him. It's grace. It must never be reduced 
to a legalistic regimen that brings a great burden to God's people. A third implication, it's about releasing people. It's really important that we don't just say preparing God's people for ministry, but it's preparing you and releasing you. And that means any of us in leadership positions in Door Creek, may we learn the blessed art of delegation. May we not get caught in that mindset of, they're so busy. I'm already asking them to do so much. I would never ask them to do anything else. I'll do it. And by the way, if I do it, I know it'll get done right. I know you never thought that. And it'll probably be easier because if I have to tell them how to do it and show them how to do it, you know what? I'll just do it myself. These are things that kill the whole pattern of what God has for us. It means that we do what Jesus did, give people the room and the freedom and the grace to fail. It means that when we delegate responsibility, we give them authority as well. Hey, it's all about releasing people, empowering them. It's all about intentionality. Look, it's never going to happen, this running an iron, iron Man or whatever goal you might have, unless... You take some intentional steps. It's never going to happen. This, this value in our church, unless we're intentional about it, is never going to happen in your life unless you're deliberate and willful and make plans to do this. And let me say that we as leaders of this church are being deliberate and will continue to be deliberate in this area. That's what home groups is all about. Home groups and our goal here of 80% of us in a home group. And if you're not in one yet, man, this is a taste of one. In, in this four-week study of Walk Across the Room. So sign up today. Get in a home group if you're not. The 200-plus who just got in, in a home groups, so many of them, I get, get these reports every week. It's, it's awesome. It's life on life around the word. It's changing them. We're committed to this here. We're committed to having a simple path that helps you know how you can grow in your Christian life. We're committed to helping you. If you feel God's call in your life, like the young man I, young man I met this last week who said, I'm 26, I own a business, but I don't want to do this business anymore. I think God's calling me into ministry. What do I do? Well, we want to help you. This is the place for you to take the next steps. This is the place for you to be released into ministry. Wherever it is God has you in the years to come, I just hope we keep seeing people catapulted out, spinning out, going to different places around this community, around the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. We're going to be intentional about it. And finally, in terms of implications here, knowing Christ and following him is not a spectator sport. It's not going to happen from the sideline. I was on the sidelines yesterday at Luke's game. I was at the sidelines yesterday at Claire's cross-country meet. I was at Peter's cross-country meet on Thursday. And there's a big difference between me cheering them on and them running the race. A big difference. And don't confuse your place right now with being in the race. You should be in the race. But being here right now doesn't mean you're in it and training. It's part of training. But it's not enough. It's not a spectator sport. So what can we say by way of application as we bring it home? If these implications are true, what does it mean for us? It means, first of all, we, we need to ask ourselves, have we followed the call? Are we a follower of Christ? 
Jesus said, come follow me. And he keeps saying that. He's saying it today. Some of you've heard it and you've been pushing it off for months or weeks or years. Some of you go, I've, I've lost my way. I was following him. Well, that's a long time ago. I'm not doing that anymore. Some of you go, I've never done that. Are you a Christ follower? Have you responded to his call? His call that you could feel right now in your own heart. Follow me. Follow me. I'm the way, Jesus says. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Follow me. He says, come unto me, all you who are weary and worn out. You've been kicked in the teeth. Your life's a wreck. Follow me and I will give you rest. He said, I have come that you might have life, abundant life, eternal life. Follow me. And it's as simple as saying, God, I acknowledge that I haven't been following you. And when I look in the rearview mirror of what it's looked like to follow me, it's bad. And I don't want to do that anymore. And I'm sorry I didn't recognize who you were in my life. Forgive me. And then you trust that what Jesus Christ did on the cross was for you. And you tell him, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me so that I could have a relationship with you. And now I ask you, make me a follower of you. Make me a follower of your son. Help me to follow him. We're going to sing a song in just a minute called The River. It's the river of forgiveness. And as that song is sung, I just encourage you to just quietly pray that. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Forgive me. I trust your son's work on the cross for me. Help me to follow you. That you might come around the table with God's people here, maybe for the first time, and say, you know what? I get it. He is my Savior. I have a relationship with him. I have communion so I can eat this meal remembering what I have in Christ. For others of us, we'd say, I'm there. But the question here is, where do you need intentional training? Where do you need it? Well, what's the next step that you need to take as you grow as a Christ follower? And the third is a really important question. Who in your life needs intentional training? And I think sometimes we don't think about it. You, you think, well, well, wait a minute, you know, I... I'm just kind of new at this whole thing of following Christ. I'm not ready to train it. Oh, yeah, you are. You're ready to invest in others from the minute you begin to follow Christ. Who in your life needs you to invest and pour into their life with the love of Christ? There's some barriers here that will keep you and me from doing this. There's wrong priorities where we're really not about seeking first his kingdom And so it's no doubt that we're not going to be about training to be useful in his kingdom. Wrong priorities. There's the misunderstandings that I alluded to where you think, well, this is just for people who feel like God's calling them to be a missionary or a pastor, right? That's not me. Or you say, I'm too young or I'm too old or I'm too new a Christian or I've been at it so long I don't need anything more. I've got it all figured out. That's a complete misunderstanding of the paradigm. Then there's this inferiority complex where we don't really think God could use us or would ever want to use us because we're just not, we don't really got a whole lot going on for God, we don't think. And he's just going to find someone better than us. These are, these are barriers. I think of sin in our own life. I think of the enemy. These are barriers that are going to keep us from pursuing this. But here's this great verse in Luke chapter 6. Read it. 
Luke chapter 6, verse 40. A student is not above his teacher. This is Jesus talking. But everyone who's fully trained, read the last part, will what? Will be like his teacher. Everyone who's fully trained will be like his teacher. Wow. That means as we pursue this initiative personally, as we pursue it corporately, as we get it out to the nations, that there are people who will be fully trained and in God's grace, fully like Christ, our teacher. Let's pray. Lord, help your people here this morning to understand what what that next move is for the person who just needs to follow you for the first time. Give them faith. For the person who's just confused right now, give them clarity. What's that next What's that next step? For all of us, Lord, help us to be mindful of the people we're to be investing in. Help us to know who it is, not just what it is. And may this place, Lord, bring you great honor as we, Lord, follow the pattern of your son, making more followers of Christ until he comes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.